Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, I'm Nicole Giantonio, the producer of the Elevate Together podcast. The impact episode you're about to hear features Brett Durand, Legal Operations Director at Sempra. Our host for this podcast is Elevate's COO and General Counsel, Steve Harmon. Brett and Steve discuss implementing change with a positive impact, featuring two projects at Sempra, the implementation of iManage, and adoption of Elevate's invoice review solution. Brett, thank you. Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast. Steve and I are very happy to have you here as our guest. Before we jump into our discussion, can you share a few comments on your career journey and what led you to where you are now? Yeah, sure. Well, I started off in business school in a graduate MBA program and graduated right when the dot-com bubble was bursting. I had envisioned going into some kind of tech consulting, but ended up instead at a patent law firm doing technical advisor work for patent procurement and litigation. Went to law school part-time and realized upon graduation that I didn't want to practice. And I was always a better business student than I think I would have ever been a lawyer. So I decided to go the business route and started with Pfizer in their audit group at first. And then in their legal technology group, it landed me in discovery, information governance, and eventually legal operations at Pfizer. I was there for about 12 years and I moved out to the West Coast to join Sempra in a legal operations director role in 2016. That's how I wound my way up here. Thank you. That's terrific. Our task today on this podcast is to talk about implementing change. There's two programs that you and I discussed in our lead up to today that we would love to have you expand on. Change that you've undergone at your organization or a prior organization and the impact that change has had. So I know the first one we discussed was using iManage. If you would give us some background on what change you were looking to make with implementing iManage, how that went, if there are any numbers or anything you can share about your experience, we'll be happy to talk about those. Sure. Our iManage program was actually a welcome change to our doc management system. We had been using previously OpenText eDocs, and then we moved into Documentum shortly after I joined the company in 2018. That was very difficult change (laughs) to move people from something that's very legal and law department oriented to something that's a little less so and more enterprise in nature, the open text platform. So we were using that for several years. And then I believe open text bought Documentum. So we were thinking about moving off the platform from an enterprise perspective. It led to the law department needing to figure out what do we want to use? Do we want to use something like SharePoint or open text or something that the enterprise is moving toward? Or is there an opportunity for us to really look at what our use cases are, what kind of technologies are out there to support that? And that led us to net documents and iManage as potential opportunities. What's nice about those platforms today, at least a couple of years ago even, is that they're subscription-based, they're cloud-based. Whereas previously, you would need to install IT hardware and architecture within your organization, which a company that's not a law firm is reluctant to do because it's more cost and it's not consistent or aligned with enterprise architecture, it's now easier to do something like this where you're subscribing to the service rather than installing and managing the service yourself. So it became an option for us, very viable one. And we went through a very rigorous RFP program. We involved people early on to really evaluate the solutions, to participate in our RFP, to participate in the design sessions once we selected iManage and got great adoption right off the bat. We have three different business units using it. Our holding company law department uses it, Sempra. 
We also have the SDG&E law department and the SoCal gas law department, both of which are also using it. We had representatives from each practice area, usually a paralegal or an attorney who was really focused on doc management, doc retention, and more process-oriented. We integrated iManage with our Team Connect system so that once you create a matter in Team Connect, which is a very robust process already in the law department, you're automatically going to create your container in iManage where you're going to save your documents. We were able to configure iManage so that the taxonomy and the folder structure that's created within that container is consistent with what an attorney in that practice would expect to see. So I think by having a vision of what we're trying to get to in terms of capability and then involving the attorneys, especially early on in the process, landed us in a place where right out the gate, people are using the doc management system far more than they ever were before. One of the two other utilities, so SoCal Gas, for example, they hated doc management systems that we had offered them in the past. Part of that's technology limitations in their facility in LA, but they had been using file shares for the longest time. And at Pfizer, we were using file shares quite extensively and then changed over to something more structured. And you know, it's remarkable how great that transition is. You're able to find things, you're able to share information. You don't have to recreate the wheel. The search capability is out of this world compared to a file share. So I feel like we brought SoCal Gas at least 10 years into the future by deploying a system that they could actually use, get information from, store information to in a much easier way. And this all happened during the pandemic, which was, I think, especially difficult from a change management perspective, but it actually ended up being a little bit of a saving grace. One is that the limitations, those some of the technology limitations in LA are network related in that office. They weren't an issue. So you see a lot of latency in that office for whatever reason. It's an older office that needs a complete overhaul. I've heard from our IT folks, that's no longer a factor when we're rolling out iManage because everybody's on their home network. We were also able to do a lot more virtual learning rather than in-person learning. It's always harder to get people in the same place and time, especially when you're dealing with lawyers. But for them to have options to dial into training, it was a lot better received, I think. Bottom line is that we've seen literally a tenfold increase. If we look at the average number of documents we save as an organization, to a doc management system going back to 2013 when we're using eDocs, 2018 when we're using Documentum, that number drastically reduced because the system was so difficult to use. And now we're tenfold higher than we ever were in terms of creating content, saving content. That number alone suggests to me that there's a lot of value. People are finding the system easy to, to store documents in. And I can only imagine what that means from a knowledge sharing perspective. You know, what kind of baseline of documents we have to search for and utilize when we need to create similar documents going forward. Not to mention just the record retention and accessibility piece to this and the risk mitigation piece of making sure that we have all the documents we need for a matter. That's excellent observations, Brett. One of the things that resonated with me is it sounds like you spent an awful lot of time focusing on the organizational adoption aspects of it. In particular, you mentioned how you got representative users from each of the groups early on in the process to validate the design. And one of the mistakes I know I made early in the process or early in my career was to assume that people would see the benefit of these technology platforms and naturally gravitate towards them. And it was the old notion that if I build it, they'll recognize the value of it, they'll immediately come. And and that didn't actually play out. So one thing I'm curious about is how you selected the pool of early testers or early implementers, users of the technology? Did you look for your biggest critics, your skeptics? Did you look for the people that you thought would be most 
likely to be advocates for the system? Was there any method to the madness or did you uh, draw names out of a hat? How did you address solving the problem of putting together a robust user group community to make sure that you optimize for success? Great question. We were very focused on people who were both critics, critics because doc management's important to them, our litigators, for example. The easiest one, I think, and I've done this several times now, deployed these doc management systems to the lawyers. Litigators are always the group that has the most documents, period. And they don't really have a client per se within the company. So our commercial transactional group, they might have the business development technology that the business development group uses or the procurement group or the sales team, right? So they're kind of beholden to other technologies where regulatory group, litigation group, they're somewhat standalone. They need to drive the process. So they're the most interested in getting it right, I think. They're the ones who would struggle most if we implement something that's going to be catastrophic and they're going to be the happiest if we implement something that's good. So the litigators were the easiest ones to pick from because I constantly heard from certain folks that they wanted this to work. There was one person who he just literally sent me an email or maybe he mentioned it at a meeting. He said, I want to be able to walk into a courtroom with a tablet and have everything I need for that case on that tablet. And he's since retired, unfortunately. But now that we've literally launched iManage for mobile devices this year, we can finally make that gentleman's <laughs> dream come true and have everything at his fingertips in the courtroom. I'd say the litigators are probably the hardest to please, but the easiest to get on board. I tend to look at technologists, people who are change agents in the organization, people who have influence, not necessarily authority, people who are risk takers and want to put themselves out there. The geography is important. We needed people from each office. We've got three offices within those three companies. As I mentioned, I literally listed out the practice areas that we have organizationally and made sure we had at least one individual from each practice area. In some cases, it was me asking the AGC for that practice, who should we pick from your group? And they had a, a recommendation, but another already knew kind of who would be the best person for the group. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious whether you went with a phased approach. Did you go group by group or did you have a big bang launch and migrate everyone over on a particular day? We had a, a big launch in terms of the migration. In terms of the training, we did phase that. It phased it very quickly over six weeks. It was in August too, so it was a little quiet. And obviously, we could focus on the groups who were actively using Documentum, which we were fortunate, I guess, that were few. A corporate governance group, the litigation group I mentioned, and maybe a couple others. And then we could phase in the whole Southern California Gas Company, for example, who were using the file shares. We saved them for later, stood the technology up, migrated everybody that was in the old system, and then we started focusing on their file shares, getting them over and getting those folks trained. So I guess it was phased, but in terms of the actual technology being accessible to people, that all happened, I believe it was August 1st of 2021. You mentioned migration, and that's one key question that I know many of our listeners face when they look at rolling out new technologies, especially when they're replacing one platform with another. And so I'm curious, how did you make the decision about whether to migrate all of your documents, move everything from the former repository into the new one? Did you settle on a strategy to start with certain types of documents? Did you do a clean cutover where all documents after a certain date go into the new system while still relying on historical searches in the old system? I'm just curious as to both what you arrived at as your final decision and more importantly, how you made that decision. We had a lot of documents to move. And so we started an initial migration of over 500,000 documents from the legacy system into the new system at some point in July of 2021. And we had a date, which we've used as the cutoff date 
to say anything that's edited or created after this date in the old system, we would need to do an update. We would need to do a refresh. So we did a very large, somewhat cumbersome migration over, I think it took a month, honestly, to move all those documents. And then we did a catch up for what was created or modified subsequent to that date that we drew in the line. And then going forward, the idea is we actually turned the previous system into read-only. Likewise, with the file shares, we had a script that would move the file shares. We also did some of it manually. And I was fascinated at how great iManage is for bulk uploading folders or huge groups of files just by dragging and dropping right into the system. Likewise, we drew a line in the sand and said, manage your documents elsewhere this week because we're moving everything from the file share. Don't save things to the file share because what you save won't show up in iManage. So it did have to be very methodical and planned and a little bit of nuance by group, but it was all very achievable at the end of the day. And I think a lot of it is because it's so easy to get documents into iManage. So that makes a lot of sense in the environment that you're describing. And I think one observation that I will make on behalf of others that are looking at this same problem set, deciding when and how much to migrate over is often one of the big strategic decisions you make. And it oftentimes has a a direct impact on your costs of these types of projects. And so I guess one other option that I'll allow for that I've seen work very successfully is, as you mentioned, moving the old systems to a read-only state and then creating a business process that says anytime a document is accessed in the historical repository, that creates an obligation to move and transfer that document into the new repository. And so it sounds like I managed as an excellent job of accepting bulk uploads. You mentioned drag and drop. Some other systems don't have that capability or it's not quite as robust. You have quantity limitations about the numbers of files you can drag over. You've got some heavy processing sometimes that's required if they're OCR documents or if you need to OCR them as part of the process. So I'll just observe that one option our listeners might consider is a hybrid approach, as I described, with migrating documents over as they're called for and then acknowledging that sometimes you're always going to have to go back into the deep recesses of the file room and search for that one file that's in a in a manila folder on a shelf somewhere. Two points that you just brought up. One is that we did keep Documentum available across the enterprise for at least three months after the migration and transition, just in case something occurred where there was a corrupted file or something didn't get migrated. So we did have the fallback, which was never exercised, but it was nice to have a nice safety net. The other thing is there's a good argument or opportunity to look at the documents you have in your legacy systems and figure out, do I want to move all of them or do I want to exercise some disposition before I move all of them? We thought it would be better just to move everything. We weren't able to do a lot of good record management disposition determinations in Documentum and in our prior legacy systems. We thought iManage would have better capabilities around that because of the metadata that we were enriching while we migrated. We're doing that now, though. We are definitely reducing our data footprint. We've had stuff 20 years. The company's existed now 25 years. So we've got records back to, I'm sure, much older companies that have bigger problems in terms of records retention and what they're deciding to keep. I should say deciding not to delete. But we're actively now going through and seeing what is eligible for deletion. Is there any legal hold applicable? It's a lot easier to do now that we've got everything organized by matter and by the category of the document. Brett, two quick questions around this project, and then we'll move on to the second example. You mentioned there was tenfold increase in documents saved. 
Are there any other figures that you can share with our listeners around the success of the project, the impact? We have measured logins. So how often are people actually accessing the system? That's increased about fivefold. So we have more users accessing the system more regularly, about a fivefold increase in that as well. Partially that is because SoCal Gas, again, wasn't using the system. They were using their file shares. I don't have metrics on search. I've heard anecdotally that we have a lot happier people that are searching for documents and they can find what they need versus other systems were a little bit more cumbersome. I hear great feedback all the time just about the functionality, the usability. We have fewer issues with respect to system downtime, fewer help desk issues, I'll call them, with our IT support. So I think across the board, it's just been a very positive experience. How about on the communication? Anything that you remember about the communication that you want to highlight? Something you did different? Maybe you did video? Was there anything new? Did you get executive leadership buy-in so that they could convey to others that this was going to happen? Yes. I did draft emails for each of the general counsels to send out. I wouldn't say this is new or different, but I remember because of the fact that we were working at home and we needed to communicate multiple different times in different ways. And and it was difficult to do that in person. When we launched the Documentum system, we had flyers on the wall and posters and things like that. None of that was relevant for this. We created a Teams channel, which was lightly used, but at least everybody was registered on the Teams channel. You could create a community for some frequently asked questions, links to training that way. We created resources on our website. Somebody up SoCal Gas, actually, who's very tech savvy, created a much more aesthetically pleasing and feature-rich site for our deployment. So we use that for the other two businesses as well. Technology played a huge role in our communication strategy. And I just remember having a very metered approach in terms of what I was going to communicate when, by who, whether it was me or others, whether it was the general counsel, their AGC for a group, or the champion, what we call the iManage champion from each of the practice areas. We've also continued to meet monthly that champion network. I think we've just recently backed out to bi-monthly, but since August 2021, actually since well before that, we had been meeting monthly during the evaluation of systems and the design. And now past deployment in August 2021, we've been meeting every month just to get a sense of what's going on with respect to iManage and your practice group. Do you see people using it? Are there any functions or features that aren't making sense? I never thought that we'd actually start using iManage Share. It's a somewhat of a difficult functionality, but it allows you to collaborate and share documents outside the company. So with law firms, and we actually have a few groups embracing some advanced features like that. So they're taking it way further than I had anticipated as you know what would be the baseline for success. That's fantastic. Wonderful when that happens, right? And the idea of being able to work with your outside parties in a secure way using the tool. So let's shift our conversation to the second change initiative that you implemented. And of course, it's one that our organization Elevate worked on with Sempra, and that's the invoice review process. Same question. You wanted to implement change around your invoices and went through the process of evaluating multiple options. And we've had the pleasure of working together. So if you could describe both what was taking place before the change, how you implemented that change, and then the impact, that would be terrific. And that one came very much top down. That was our deputy general counsels, I guess it was back in 2020. I brought the idea to them because that's what I do is try to see what other companies are doing and successes they're having. And and I suggest probably two or three ideas a, a quarter. And that one they latched onto. They really liked the idea of making invoice review easier for attorneys. 
Again, something that happened during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, people are spending all day at their computers. And the idea of having one less thing for our attorneys to focus on really appealed, I think, to my leadership, to my general counsels. That decision was made very top down. And as we rolled it out, again, the idea that attorneys are going to spend more time lawyering and less time looking at bills resonated with the attorneys for sure. There was some change management in terms of training. There was an MCLE offered, which lawyers love MCLEs, right? They need those. There was communications. I think there were updated billing guidelines that coincided with our deployment so that that could accompany our communication to law firms. There was obviously communication to our community of counsel, which is our preferred law firm panel who we do the vast majority of work with so that they're aware that this change was happening. It was, I guess, a lighter touch to a broader audience. A lot of people touch invoices within Sampra and its family of companies. A lot of firms and stakeholders outside the company are impacted by this new service. There was great early acceptance of the process and understanding of the process. There were a few instances where we wanted to go deeper with the training and with the awareness because we were spending a lot of money with certain firms and needed to make caveats and carve-outs for how they were billing us just by the nature of the work and the amount of it. Thankfully, the Elevate service was flexible enough to accommodate that and script knowledge around it and eliminate any awkwardness that would have occurred without that kind of carve-out and those exceptions built into the process. That made it a lot easier. Brett, one thing I'm always curious when I hear about people instituting these types of bill review initiatives, what the primary driving functions are for why they're kicking off the process. You mentioned reducing attorney overhead and disruption, the amount of time that your in-house counsel had to spend reviewing bills, et cetera. That's one objective. Another objective that we often commonly find is expense reduction, making sure that you have compliance with outside counsel billing guidelines. Many times in-house legal departments spend a lot of time putting together a wonderful set of expectations about their interactions with their law firms. They put those outside counsel billing guidelines in place and then they lack the ability to enforce those. And so you have an aspirational statement as opposed to an operational statement. So in addition to those, were there other driving functions? Did you have any thoughts about what your primary driving goal was in the early days? And did you have any metrics that support the success of the program? Yeah, absolutely. I think about things from a cost perspective. That was my interest in this and thinking that the relationship that attorneys might have with their law firms might prevent them from being as rigorous with bill review as a third party would. And so just naturally, we're going to see some cost reductions based upon that dynamic. But my leadership, their drive was really to unburden their attorneys. They did not think this was a good use of attorney time reviewing huge invoices with 2,500 line items on them. Wanted really to get the attorneys out of that business. They can still look at the adjustments that were made and they can look at flags that the system automatically generates, but they didn't have to scour these invoices. Really, they would just hone in on what's already been flagged and assess whether they agree with that or not. So I think hands down, my leadership was more interested, believe it or not, in unburdening the attorneys rather than the cost savings. I think they were a little skeptical, honestly, about the cost savings. I know when we looked at vendors and we compared what their proposed approaches would be, the different providers seemed to suggest between 2 and 7% of the costs reviewed could result in savings or reductions, right? And we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that level. I think that might indicate already pretty good billing hygiene, but we are more than twice paying for the service in terms of the reductions that we're making. So we are seeing costs reduced. We are seeing firms slightly adjust their billing practices and improving their billing hygiene. 
And I guess that was a third part was, can we see the firms actually changing their billing behavior over time, improving their billing hygiene? We didn't really have a very good baseline for that. But I guess the baseline that we've seen over the last couple of years we've had this service is that it's it's pretty good. We're not 2 to 7%. We're more like 1% to 2%. But that's still, given the volume of spend we have, that's still dollars. <laughs> it's still real money. Yeah, you've made an important observations there. As you're well aware, oftentimes outside counsel selections are heavily influenced by who I worked with previously at the firm before I came in-house. And it's awfully hard to turn to your friends and say, hey, I need to haircut your bill because you're not adhering to the guidelines that we agreed to up front. One benefit that you alluded to there was inserting a third party in between that conversation. It's interesting that your savings have been at that lower rate, that lower end of the spectrum. I would say that that's unusual in our experience. But as you say, there's good reasons for that. You may have already had very good billing hygiene in place, and it sounds like your firms are modifying their behavior as well. I guess a final observation I'll make in that regard is oftentimes when asked to consult with new legal operations professionals, they say, where should I start? And in particular, they have objectives or aspirations to do something like an iManage rollout that you referred to before, and they're struggling to pay for it, right? How am I going to figure out a way to fund that internal initiative? And a great way to do that is to uh, squeeze savings out of the existing outflows of the department. And so I think it's really important that you touched on both the opportunity cost of the opportunity savings, if you will, of having lawyers freed up to no longer spend time, a significant amount of time on bill review. And then in addition to that, the ability to have actual hard savings that can potentially be reinvested into the next strategic initiative. So thanks for sharing that example. Sure. Typically, we are seeing about 8%, 7 to 8% at Elevate. It's really interesting when we get customers on the bandwagon year after year, we're seeing a higher percentage. It does take a lot. It's cultural to be able to push that through. It takes a lot of effort. Brett, thank you. Is there anything else about either program that you'd like to share now that we've walked through those examples? I guess one of the things that might be limiting that percentage, the one to 2% instead of the two to seven is, again, some attorney discretion and how hard do they want to hold their firm's feet to the fire. So we do allow ultimately the attorney to adjudicate an adjustment on an invoice. And some attorneys use that more liberally than others. And perhaps if that didn't occur, we'd be closer to 5% for sure. That could be part of it as well. Just leave it at that. Some customers actually say your person's too strict, but that's the balance, right? Finding out what you want as a customer, you want to give that leniency. And that's, of course, the discretion of the customer. Thank you. We appreciate you sharing your experience with our listeners. Brett, thank you for being a guest on the Elevate Together podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Tune into the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and ElevateServices.com. 